Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where John Negroni and Will Ashton discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. So sit back, relax, and pour one out for the two and only Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCover.com. I am John Negroni from the Internet, California, and I'm joined by some great movie minds this week. He's a sound master you know and love to hate. Maverick Hines is here from the Broadband Basement. I'm here. I'm, I'm so, excited. I'm so happy you, you made it because, unfortunately, our regular co-host, Will Ashton, is out this week. He's an adventurous oh, no. spirit, obviously. And, you know, we have a short list of podcast friends who can best live up to the shadow left by Will Ashton's absence. And Robert, Yanis, they were all busy. So welcome to Cinemaholics. Well, I'm glad I, uh, you guys were able to get to the bottom of the barrel. And that's, you know, that's, where I, that's where I live. And it's nice to be called upon every once in a while. Where are you operating? I remember, so the last episode you were on yeah. with us was uh, Alien Covenant. Yes, I was. One of our better episodes, um, I got to say truly. Yeah, that was a fun discussion, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, oh, that was another example where Will Ashton was gone. So one of these days we have to have you on with Will Ashton at the same time. Yeah, I know. I'd have, we have never crossed paths. Yeah, well, it's oh, going to happen. Sorry, and I'll bow out for a week. I'll let you guys have some fun. <laughs> Good. You, go. you can have an intelligent conversation about movies <laughs> for once. <laughs> All right, well, uh, you probably can tell at this point we're doing Atomic Blonde. That is our featured review this week. It's going to be a good discussion. Really excited because uh, a lot of us have been really anticipating this one. I know uh, Will Ashton definitely was. I have been. And uh, Robert, I don't know if you were really looking forward to it, but it's out. And then we're also going to be doing, we're opening with a, a new segment uh, called Would You Even Watch This? Uh, real quick. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to end the show with mini reviews. And we got a really cool mini review because we're going to get a sneak peek review of The Defenders on Netflix. Uh, Robert was able to see it uh, a few weeks early, so he's going to give us a lowdown. So that's going to be awesome. We're also going to talk about Detroit, Ozark, and maybe a couple of bonuses, depending on how we do on time. And that's our episode this week without, you know, belaboring it at all. I want to just jump into this new segment. It's the world premiere. I'm really excited to introduce to the Cinemaholics world. Would you even watch this? Now, here's how it works. I'm going to describe a movie with a new trailer out. Uh, it's a bit of an obscure film, and I'm going to try to like pitch it to Soundmaster Maverick Hines, our Cinesober uh, resident, and he's going to let me know if he would actually watch this movie. So this isn't going to take a long time, but let's do this. And uh, Rob, we want you to we want you to weigh in as well. You definitely, I, I have a feeling you might have heard of this one already, so you might be a little biased. Yeah, Rob. Rob can coach me a little bit. He can kind of maybe mm -hmm. lead me in the right way. Drop some hints. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry, man. We're not going to say what the title of the movie is <laughs> until the very end. Let's start. Okay, Maverick. Okay. So the movie stars James Franco. Okay. The first thing that he says in the trailer is, I hate sirens. More context. He has a mustache and he works at a bank. Okay. There's a girl in this movie. He sort of looks like Emma Stone, but she's actually an actress you've never heard of. <gasps> yeah. She's evil. <gasps> and has a rifle, and she points it at James Franco. We're 10 seconds in. Okay. Okay? I'm interested. Then you find out there are two girls. What? One of them wears a wig. Oh, no. This is a bank robbery. Deceit. Okay. So James Franco, bank robbery, female robbers. Unfortunately, they want a lot of money, but there isn't a lot of money in the bank. Okay. okay. <laughs> so they threaten James Franco a lot. 
And he tells him the real money, not the fake money, is in a vault in the basement. He says it's a private, like old school, antiquated vault. It's off the grid, he says. The bank robbers, I call them Bonnie and Bonnie, they don't seem to care. And one of their fellow bank robbers, oh yeah, there's more bank robbers. They're like the leaders, but they're like dudes who are helping them out. Mm -hmm. Some dude starts opening this vault and he sees something. It's dark. There's people down here, he says through the strands of his beard. This is the part where the movie (laughs) takes a turn. Are you describing the whole movie? Did you see the movie? (laughs) (laughs) We're still, we're almost, we're almost at the end of this trailer. So Bonnie and Bonnie go down there to find Michael. Yeah, he's got a name. Okay. Flashlights are whipped out. Oh no, that's never a good sign. One of the bank tellers says the obvious, yeah, there's something down there. And we start to see a masked man walking around. It's a phantom of the opera looking mask terrorizing the bank robbers one by one. There's an 80s synth soundtrack. Like, you know the soundtrack to Stranger Things? It's like that. Way to sell me. There's a montage of super creepy, crazy stuff. Blood is shown. Just like randomly? or Fade to the end. And this movie is called The Vault. Okay. Maverick, on a scale of anything to anything. Yeah, go ahead. How many times is Seth Rogen in this trailer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Zero times. A hundred percent I'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you will see this. Okay. On a okay, scale. Will you see this on in a theater? Mm. And I'm like not forcing you to for the cinema holics. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean if it's a part if it's something we're reviewing. Would you then, see, would you rent it? Would you stream it for free? What are we doing? What are we you doing? know what? I, I the vibe pretty seems, you know, kind of like a thriller, maybe a horror style, which is, you know, right up my alley. Horror you, bank robbery. You know I like that. It feels like Don't Breathe, which I don't know if you watched. Ooh. You know what? Ooh. I'm going to say this is this is a theater watch for me, wow. based off of your elaborate description of Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie, and James Franco with a mustache. You heard it here first. I'm going to see it. All right. I'm going to tell you guys all about it later. <laughs> Rob, would you see this movie? Um, well, when you said James Franco, my first thought was, is this the disaster artist? Because yes, I would see this. (laughs) It's disaster Um, artist. I mean, I'm forcing Mara to see that one. Yeah, yeah. But then as you went on, I was like, I think I have heard of a movie called The Vault. I haven't seen this trailer. Um, but, and James Franco is such a wild card in pretty much anything. Uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily theater watch, but this would be probably streaming or Netflix or something. Cause it does sound like an intriguing, intriguing premise. And yeah, it sounds like you did a better job of selling it than the trailer does. <laughs> and that comparison <laughs> to don't breathe definitely helps. Cause I love that movie last right, year. That was right. Yeah. The similarities are endless. Uh, to me, this is the type of movie I really want to see like at home, maybe with a couple of friends, turn on all the lights. It's kind of that kind of thing. So I'm the only theater watcher. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty surprised. Yeah. I would watch in the theater. I would watch anything in the theater. But like, if I, I don't know. All right. Well, that was our that was our new segment. Would you even watch this? And I really want to know. And I would if Will Ashton would watch it. But alas, we will never know. Also, Will Ashton watches everything that's come out on a screen ever. That's true. So he, that's what he he's actually probably told us. already seen it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So there's a new movie out this week that we are that we've all seen. It's called Atomic Blonde. And you might remember from our most one of our recent episodes where our we were talking about our most anticipated movies of the summer. I believe Atomic Blonde was one of Will Ashen's top three he was most looking forward to. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
movie was directed by David Leitch, and it's based on a graphic novel called The Coldest City. And now, The Coldest City is uh, it's about the Berlin Wall, like um, it's kind of like a spy thriller kind of thing. It was written by Annie Johnston and Sam Hart. But the screenplay it was adapted from was written by Kurt Johnston. Movie stars Charlize Theron, James McAvoy, Sophia Patella, John Goodman, Toby Jones, and James Faulkner. A lot of great acting talent in this movie. And here is the synopsis on IMDb. An undercover MI6 agent is sent to Berlin during the Cold War to investigate the murder of a fellow agent and recover a missing list of double agents. So really, every spy movie since the early 80s. And uh, that's basically this movie. So... Starting with you, Robert Yenes, what, what what were you thinking? Like when you were going into Atomic Blonde, were you excited? I mean, did you have high expectations? And then how did you walk away from it? Well, I know that this is directed by um, half of the co-writing or co-directing team of the original John Wick. I know one of David Leach did this project and Ch- uh, Chad Stahelski did John Wick Chapter 2. So I was expecting something along those lines. And it, and it feels like the trailer has been playing before every other, every movie I've seen this summer. Pretty much. So I I feel like every time I'd seen the trailer, the hype was kind of growing and growing. And you heard all these stories of mm-hmm. Charlize Theron and Keanu Reeves training together and all of that. So I was expecting a, very much a John Wick style uh, film. And I, I think that I think that Atomic Blonde delivers um, in large in large part, especially with the action sequence. We'll get into uh, more of the the story issues and stuff later on. But as far as uh, the action and fight choreography, and I think it really takes advantage of its uh, 1989 setting. We'll get into some of that, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, take overall, advantage is putting it lightly. Yeah, exactly. But overall, I was I was pretty um, hyped going in and uh, walked out and uh, you know looking at the film in a pretty positive light. Hmm. Awesome, awesome, and uh, yeah. So like David, it's Leech, not Leitch. I've I've heard Leach. I guess okay. let's say Leach. Yeah, I haven't heard either way. So David Leach, he uh, yeah, he was responsible for a lot of the really great stunt work in the first John Wick, and he didn't work on Chapter Two. And I think you can kind of notice that the stunt work of the action scenes. I mean, John Wick Chapter Two is a great film, great action set pieces, but you can definitely kind of tell like some of the stunt work wasn't quite as visceral. And uh, it, he saved it here for Atomic Blonde, and uh, I would agree with you on that one. Maverick Hines. I know you've seen the trailer Atomic Blonde many times as well. He, he, Robert's definitely right. It was before like almost every movie, right? Yeah, it was in my dreams. Like I couldn't get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you think of Atomic Blonde overall? Um, going into it, I, I was pretty just like whatever about it. I don't think it was – I wasn't anticipating it very much. You've seen the first John Wick, but you haven't seen the second one. Yeah. Oh, I, wait, what? What are we talking <laughs> – John Wick? Sorry. I thought we were talking about Atomic still. I'm oh, confused. Oh, oh. Um, I haven't seen the second one, um, but I loved the first one. Right. Uh, my friend Michael was like, "Hey, dude, have you seen this movie?" It's like, "No, this is before I was introduced to the you know cinematic uh, family." So I was like, "I'll give it a shot," and I watched it, and then I watched it three times in two days because I was like, "I love this movie." <laughs> so I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm really slacking on the fact that I have not seen the second one yet, but I'm very much excited to see that. I went into it, like like I said a second ago, I just kind of didn't, I wasn't super excited about it. It was just, yeah, this seems cool. Um, I heard, a, I was watching a video somewhere <clears throat> that was talking about like how amazing Sharice Theron was doing with uh, the action stunts and like how they were able to do a lot of stunts per shot without having to cut a lot. So I was like, oh, this, this seems really cool. She seems to be doing like a really good job. I'm really excited to watch this. She had this. eight personal trainers. Yeah. And uh, as Robert said, well, she trained with Keanu Reeves. She did so much work with this. She actually cracked two teeth while filming. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that part of it had me kind of excited to see, 
you know, some of that. Um, the, the movie, I, I walk away. I don't know. I, I'm okay with it, I guess. I, I'm not particularly in love with it. Maybe it's just not my style of movie or my kind of movie, but, um, I'm not, I'm not super in love with it. Other than some of the really cool action sequences that have to do a lot with, like, like I was saying earlier, she runs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, training and, and really, really strong talent there. The rest of it, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, I, I was kind of bored at times too. Um, so I, I walked away less, less than excited about this one. I was, I was bored a lot during this movie, which was kind of bumming me out. But I mean, no question, like a lot of these action scenes, I wouldn't even actually say all of them, but a lot of them were ranged from great to kind of amazing. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. a centerpiece action sequence that uh, is an illusion one shot and it's brutal. I mean, it's, it's one of the most impressive things I've seen put to action film probably since John chapter two, yeah. but uh, it, it is pretty amazing. It reminded me a lot of, if, if you imagine like some of the better action scenes in daredevil and just kick it up a notch a bit more from there, mm-hmm. longer, bloodier, and even more unpredictable. That, that is, that is basically this movie. That is the reason to see this movie. But yeah, I went into it pretty hyped, but at the same time I was kind of questioning, like, is this movie really going to grab me? Uh, on level like am i really gonna be interested and because the thing i like about john wick is how it's so simple he just wants revenge it's a revenge flick yep atomic blonde lost me pretty early on because the whole thing wasn't they they start to begin it as like oh she wants revenge because they killed a dude she uh, maybe loved um that part's yeah they don't they don't really establish any of like any of her motivation and you basically have no idea who she is when when the movie starts yeah, it just gets going. She starts yeah. getting interviewed by people. And like the reason she's doing things, it just sort of feels like it's her day job. And mm-hmm. I just wasn't that invested in like what was happening most of the time. And really, this movie was l- the complete opposite of John Wick in terms of it wasn't simple at all. It was mm-hmm. overly complicated. Yep. Nothing about the story was smart to me. It was all very familiar. It was very tropey. It was just like a typical kind of lame conventional spy movie with occasionally awesome action scenes. So I was pretty let down. The thing that saves this movie for me, though, is Charlize Theron. Yeah. Charlize yeah. Theron in this movie, yeah, sure. I'm just, you know, part of the reason this movie exists is because Mad Max Fury Road, her her role in that was transcendent. Amazing. And yeah. part mm-hmm. of the reason this movie got financed was because of the critical success of Mad Max. I mean, it wasn't a huge financial success, but it proved that there are fans of action movies who want to see great actors like Charlize Theron in these types of awesome roles. And she's proven time and again that she can do it. So for that reason, I do really like Atomic Blonde. Not a bad movie, but just a lot of wasted potential here. Yeah, I I agree with you. For me, the same thing. I think Charlize Theron is the only reason I would tell someone like, hey, if you like action movies, like go see it because she did great. You know what I mean? Have either of you read The Coldest City or know anyone who has? Nope. I'm not familiar with it now. I've never even heard of it before. I'm, this. I'm curious, like, is it is it really just the source material that's the problem here? Because I mean the, the novel was written in 2012, and I'm just kind of wondering why couldn't they have just had more maybe some more creative liberties maybe would have fixed this? Or I, maybe they just didn't have a great uh script to work with and yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, the the problem the issue, like you, like you were saying, John, I think all the issues with this film are, are plot, plot centric, and uh, the fact that 
like unlike the John Wick films, he has a personal motivation for what he's doing. We don't know exactly what's propelling her to do this until I guess more towards the end of the film, we get a little bit of um, a little bit more detail there. Mm-hmm. And and I and feel it's like an the interesting film, world. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Not quite as interesting. And I keep I hate to keep comparing it to John Wick, but I mean it's the same filmmaker and it's a similar style, so it's hard to kind of not. Um, it doesn't do the same level of world building as the two John Wick films. But it's it, the film seems like it wants you to care about the story and the various goings on and who's betraying whom. Uh, and I really wasn't invested in any of that. It was just kind of espionage gobbledygook right, where right. with just basically keeping you waiting for the next big action scene. And uh, like you guys were saying, I think I think uh, Charlize Theron saves this. And it, to me, it feels like. Uh, if it didn't have such high quality action scenes and fight choreography, this feels sort of to me like a movie Angelina Jolie would have made like 10 years ago and it would have been like completely disposable. <laughs> so and yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, if it wasn't for the, you know, David Leach's direction and her performance, I think this would be like easily just like, eh, it's fine, whatever. Because, But to me, it, it raises slightly above that just because yeah. of uh, because of those high points. Great stuff to look at, you know, I, and there's plenty more that we haven't mentioned. I, I think the setting, you do kind of allude, like, it takes advantage of the 80s time setting. I think it's really interesting to place this during the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, so there, there's good <laughs> stuff here, good setup, and uh, some good art direction. I think that the way that they costume Charlize Theron, she's kind of like, she doesn't look like she's coming out of the 80s. Like, the fashion and everything is kind of its own thing, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. It's very unique, yeah. and I thought that was a good idea, and... There are lots of good ideas here. Uh, I think the Sofia Botella character is a great idea uh, up until probably, you know, toward the end of the movie. I think that they kind of botch that whole arc there. But, mm-hmm. you know, she she plays the love interest to Charlize Theron. And it's so matter of fact and it's so kind of, you know, you do see it coming. But you, you sort, there's so much mystery and intrigue. She's like a Bond girl. But like mm-hmm. the same kind of thing where like Kingsman took the Bond girl archetype and she works with that beautifully as gazelle right yeah you know yeah. sort of like i can kill anybody and i'm like super dangerous here she is the other type of bond girl and she's just really good at that i guess um uh way better here than in the mummy what did you guys think of james mcavoy in this because i'm sorry i have to say i'm split Boo. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> He was fine. His character was very inconsistent, and they, they, the film never really, because he's supposed to be so enigmatic, it never really establishes who he is or why we should care. And and uh, you know, she 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 sort of teams up with him, but then not really. They don't ever really team up. It's just they're kind of doing their own thing for large sections of the film. Yeah, they're colleagues, but like, yeah, they don't act like it. Exactly. It was weird. I was like, I, I was kept wondering what his function was in her story because it she seemed like he was, I, it seemed like he was sort of in his own movie at, at times. Maybe maybe that's just how MI6 is. I mean, I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> we need to get a resource on that. Find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I agree with Rob. Like, I just, they did so little to make me care about his character that it was hard for me to really, like, I just, I just didn't care that much about what yeah. was going on. I was so trying, like, for me, I was just so focused on trying to figure out like what was happening in the story and like who I was supposed to believe is supposed to be the bad person and like all all the stuff that they were trying to throw at me that I just like I had no time to focus on whether or not you know this character mattered to me at all. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I was entertained somewhat. I, I like some of his earlier scenes. He gets some like he gets to have like some fun and some you know he's very physical in these role in this role. Uh, there, there's a funny moment where if you know the story behind the film, he starts wearing a cast seemingly for no reason, and uh, you know there's a reason for that in the movie at the very end. But he's actually wearing a cast because in real life the actor he injured himself during Split, and oh, really? David Leach was like, "We'll work, we'll work with it." And so they actually factored into the story, which was kind of, That's you know, cool. that was a That's nice cool, little yeah. touch. Uh, I just think that he was, I, I was thinking, I, I don't know, he didn't disappear into the role for me. Uh, that to me is a pretty simple barometer of an actor's performance. I felt like I was constantly seeing either James McAvoy or, you know, his character in Split, weirdly enough, which is not usually something I notice of him. Like mm-hmm. usually, maybe that role just overtook him or something, but usually when you see him in movies like Wanted and X-Men... He usually does a really good job, and I I don't, you know, get bogged Mm -hmm. down in his previous work, but here I did for some reason. Um, Okay, so we've said a lot about how the action is really good, but this film probably has just as many plot twists as action scenes. Uh, There's a lot of them, and I I will say that I did did call who – we don't want to spoil anything, but there's like a big plot twist at the very, very, very end. And I was like, I kind of called that, but then the movie like fakes it out. And I was like, oh, I guess I was wrong. But then it's like, yeah, but no, this is what it is. And, he, and he's not kidding about it. Like, it's like the very end. It's like the last. Yeah. End. The very last scene. Yeah. yeah. Like it made me kind of want to see another movie, but not for like the right reasons. It was more of like, can you guys just like redeem this? Yeah. <laughs> Keep everything but the writing. And like, I want to see a couple more of these films. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that I think that I wouldn't be surprised if this does well, if this does end up becoming a franchise mm-hmm. for Charlize Theron. I, I think this character has potential. It's like you guys were saying, I think the story, they 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 made it so overly convoluted. If the story had just been she needs to retrieve this list, I mean, that would have sure that would have been very derivative. But the style would have helped it rise above that mm-hmm. as opposed to bogging everything down with, oh, but the Russians and. And MI6 and, uh, you know, the CIA and who's, who's, who's uh, you know, trying to get one up on the other agency and all that stuff. Um, I, I think that was ultimately the biggest weakness in the film. Yeah. Well, you know, John Wick was a movie that I know we keep bringing it up. But that was a movie that was a surprise hit. It didn't make a ton of money, but enough to, you know, it, it had enough interest that they saw franchise potential. Uh, so far, Atomic Blonde, I mean, we're still finding out how much it made over the weekend, but it costs $30 million to make, and it's made $7 million so far domestic. Ooh. Yeah, so it's going to make about half of its budget in opening weekend when all is said and done, and I don't think this movie is going to have a lot of legs, so I don't see it being a huge hit. If it had done at least like $20 million, uh, you know, this opening weekend, I think it's going to fall short and maybe hit about fifteen. Then I, you could maybe see... You know, it's August. We have a lot of other big movies coming out. And I mean, so many movies came out, like the Emoji movie just taking uh, over. That actually is being, is a box office hit at this point. Um, oh, that's depressing. Fortunately, none of us had to see it. Uh, thanks to <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes getting it a 0%. I feel like, I feel like we don't have, need to add anything to that. No. Nope. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I really don't have anything else to say about this movie i don't know yeah. about you guys if we're, if we're not going to do spoilers which yeah we, we, which we can't i don't know i don't we think could, we could but i guess I, this is a movie that i'm so uninterested in it that yeah. i i have a hard time talking about it it's so, so simple yeah the plot's kind of inconsequential basically is what we're saying yeah like i mean it's Go, simple my opinion of it is so simple, yeah not the movie yeah yeah, yeah. 
I agree. Yeah, yeah. Go, go see it if, if you like John Wick and you want to see cool action sequences and Charlize Theron doing her thing and, and a really awesome soundtrack. And that's kind of, you know, go in with, with those expectations and you'll walk out happy, I think. Robert, you just reminded me of something I want to talk about. Thank you. The music oh, yeah. in this oh, film. You guys know I always have something to whine about. That's true. I think you and I disagree on this. Yes. So I, I think the song selection, as far as like what we were listening to, was mm-hmm. great. Yeah, we agree I really like the music. What I didn't like is how it was used a lot of the time. Um, Some of it was way too on the nose. Way too, way too <laughs> on the nose. It was annoyingly on the nose at times. And then sometimes, it, I don't know if it was just the audio mixing or what, but it was just... It, it made it hard to follow what was going on in screen and what was going on on screen was already hard to follow. And that really bothered me. Um, and that's just something that I, you know, I think it's just music heads like me notice, but there were just times it just felt like the music was kind of lazy and they're like, Oh, we don't have any dialogue to put right here. So we're just going to put a loud song that yeah. makes everyone happy. And that, that bugged me a lot. Hmm. Yeah. It didn't bug me quite as much. I, the one, the only song that really bugged me, there's a David Bowie song played at the <laughs> worst possible moment. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. so lame. I just, it was lame. It was just like, come on, yeah. you know, well, can, pick another David Bowie song. Well, my issue with that song is that I, that song was featured very prominently in another big movie. I don't know if we're considering song selection as spoilers. Wait, which movie? Uh, uh, well, Inglorious Bastards. Oh. So I remember it <laughs> from that so film. But um, no, not for not for that. Not spoilers for that movie, but spoilers for Atomic Blonde, I meant. Right, right. Like uh, that film, that song was featured so prominently in that movie. And I just felt to me like, oh, come on, just p- pick a different Bowie song, something else. It's just I got to be I, honest. I, I have this song connected to that one so much I, in my head. I do not remember Under Pressure being in. Oh, I wasn't thinking that one. See, we're talking different oh, songs. I was gonna two say, Bowie songs. It's a good thing that I said there are two David Bowie songs. I was thinking of. Uh... Yeah, the, the I was thinking Cat People, which plays uh, with the opening titles. I was gonna say, because, yeah, because in Glorious, I was like, wait, you never hear that song, but oh well. Yeah, no. well, since we've already named the song, when <laughs> I don't think it's ruining anything. <laughs> no, I mean, no, 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 no. I wasn't sure. <laughs> you guys were being so cryptic. I was like, well, I we guess. Say, yeah, I don't. I, think no, it's a I, I was at just all. gonna say when it comes to the under pressure thing. When that song came on, John and I looked at each other. And we were just like, what? And I sent uh, something to him and a couple friends of that GIF of. Uh, 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 what's his name? Jonah Hill, like in the awards, where he's like doing the like, he, like cut it off signal. Yeah, he's like, yeah. nah. <laughs> we, we looked at each other. We were like, Mm-mm, this exactly. does not belong here, right? Now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Weird movie, but uh, it's probably why the action, the hallway stairwell scene is so amazing. great because there oh. is no music. It's so good. Like yeah. they use the choreography, the sound of people hitting each other as the beat, the grunting. And it works so <laughs> yeah, well. That was yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's it's like its own song, and it's better than I think a lot of the other ways they use music in this. But uh, again, though, I think in a sequel they could fix these problems pretty easily. They're not mm-hmm. big glaring flaws. They're yeah, just sort sure. of like they're kind of like amateur mistakes, I guess. Where so much of this movie get, gets so many hard things right, it's yeah. kind of frustrating when it gets simple things wrong. So, yeah, I'm with you. All right, Maverick. What are your final thoughts and grade for Atomic Blonde? Um, I don't. I don't really have any more thoughts. It's like I said for me. I just I just walked out of the movie kind of just not caring about the movie um to me for like as a cinesober you know friend um the story was just too much uh for me to keep up with a lot of the time uh i just don't think it's something that someone who goes in can be like oh yeah like i'm following this perfect you know it's just you have to be a little too critical at times to kind of figure out what's happening yeah um and for me mm-hmm. that, that's just a really big flaw um for a movie um so for me i'm, I'm gonna give this one a c uh hmm. 
just kind of like whatever about it. I don't hate it. Like I said, that stairway sequence that we just talked about was was fantastic. You but know you I mean? can watch it on YouTube. Yeah. And get the same. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Save yourself an hour and some money. <laughs> yeah. It is a long scene, so that's about right. Yeah. All right. What about you, Robert? Um, I mean, like I said, I, I think I kind of boiled it down already. Uh, for as far as the action scenes, the performances, those were strong. The story, of course, is a mess. And I think if they were to do a sequel, um, I think don't take yourself so seriously and and just like have fun with it a little bit more. <laughs> don't uh, don't try and invest so much in the espionage side of it because nobody went to this movie expecting a really thought provoking plot. And uh, you know that being said, I did enjoy the film. It's not one that I necessarily like pick up on uh, Blu-ray or like rewatch a lot at home or anything like that. Um, but for me, I'm still like I still walked out relatively. Uh, relatively pleased so i'm probably going b b minus all right overall yeah i think you both have covered it i don't really have anything else to add uh everything you've said i think we're all pretty much aligned uh i go with a b minus on this one Uh, i I do think that it just sort of depends on what you value in a movie most and if you really love amazing action scenes i will say it's not a perfect action scene there are a couple of noticeable cuts that we didn't mention you know but what what it does is very it's a very inventive sequence and uh, it's so much fun that it makes up for a lot of mistakes and of course Charlize Theron just she's just great I I just I don't think there's any other way to describe what she does with this movie and uh, she makes it worth a ticket if you decide to pay it but uh, I would also say maybe skip it and watch some of these action scenes on YouTube you know and it's kind of mean and you want to support the cinema but. Uh, Maybe go see a different movie. Yeah, there's to. a lot of other better movies out right now. Like I would definitely, definitely recommend someone go see Baby Driver or The Big Sick before they go see this. Sure. Yes. All right. Well, that'll do it for our review of Atomic Blonde. Um, we, before we get to our next segment, don't go away because Cinemaholics is going to be right back. All right, welcome back. It's time to talk about our mini reviews, and we have so many to cover. Uh, definitely, it's it, it's it's gonna, it was tough to narrow this down. I had one of those weeks where I I was sick a couple of days this week, and I watched like a movie every single day. So <laughs> I, I'm kind of having a hard time. I until yesterday. Uh, deciding what I was going to watch. But first, Robert, you saw the, I believe, the first episode of the new miniseries, The Defenders, on Netflix. Actually, the, the first four episodes, oh, um, wow. I was able to re- re- uh, screen um, ahead of time. You can read my review on wegotthiscovered.com. Uh, I guess there's a total of eight coming, and um, you know they, they didn't want to dole it out all at once. Yeah. So, um, oh, so of course, this is the culmination in Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and uh, Iron Fist. And uh, I, I mean, I found it really satisfying. It's interesting in my review, I, I compare it to the Avengers because it's the culmination of four different heroes coming together. And and like that film, I think that there are some uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect with where we last saw characters and where we pick up with them and. It takes some time to really get going. You don't, the heroes don't even really unite until I'd say maybe episode three. Wow. So there's a lot of That's groundwork weird. being laid as far as their stories intersecting. But I found it really, um, really fun to watch once it once it does really kick in. And uh, the chemistry that the characters share, I think, bodes well for the future of the MCU on Netflix. Wow! So they have a lot of chemistry. That that was the thing that I have been sort of really worried about because also like the Avengers, there is like one movie that wasn't nearly as good as the others, mm-hmm. which some people disagree. It's between incredible Hulk and Thor. And I guess iron fist is that version. 
Yeah, I think see, Iron Fist is for me definitely the weak link of these Netflix shows. Uh, and I think that's kind of the general consensus for the most Except part. Except for Maverick. Maverick liked Iron Fist. I love Iron Fist. Big I don't. Fan. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it as much as some people did. Um, but it, you know, it's yeah, it's definitely it's definitely the weak one here. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, I powered through that season. I was, you know, staying with it. I, I feel like on the def- in the defenders, they they go a lot more towards redeeming that character that's for cool. people that might have uh, might have criticized Danny Rand a little bit hard in his uh, his solo show. There's even a scene in, in this, uh, I think it's episode, episode three or four, there's even a boardroom scene that's actually kind of compelling considering a lot of people were criticizing Iron Fist because it spends like six episodes <laughs> dealing with the, the Rand Corporation and, uh, you know, him establishing his identity and taking over his company and, and all that. adventures <laughs> of white corporate America sort of. <laughs> and our show about Asian mysticism. <laughs> right. I, I feel like here he he sort of finds his place um, a lot more solidly than he does on his own, which is why yeah. I'm a little sort of disappointed that they just renewed Iron Fist for season two because I'm I I just feel like they could have folded him into the Luke Cage show or something else. Well, I want to see them give it a second chance. Yeah, I yeah, guess. You know? we'll and if goes. this one's terrible, then I'm all for like yeah, just sticking with Luke Cage because that's what we really want to see. Right, exactly. And they sort of plant the seeds in the Defenders for an eventual Heroes for Hire miniseries or something. So we'll see if that yeah. if that happens. I think they'll wait to see what the reception is like to this one, though. Yeah. Uh, real quick, the show comes out uh, August 18th. Yes. And Robert, what was your final grade? I actually gave it four out of five. That's great. Um, I thought it was it was really fun, and I, I mean, Kristen Ritter to me kind of steals the show because she gets to be sort of the the uh, the cynic of the bunch, the, the one making all the sarcastic one liners, as you would assume, yeah. and probably the most hesitant of the four heroes to really uh, form any sort of a team. Well, her but, whole season was about how she prefers yeah, exactly. working alone, so that makes sense. Yeah. And it's interesting with Daredevil, um, where we find him here, he's actually, this isn't really spoilers, this isn't the first episode, he's sort of put that side of his life behind him, and he's trying to move on without being Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And I, that felt to me kind of forced narratively, that they were just like, well, we need to do something interesting with Daredevil, let's put yeah. this in there. And I mentioned in my review that there's a little bit of a disconnect with Daredevil. So They should have ended season two a bit more, a bit strong, stronger. Because I think yeah. that's, that was a big issue with season two, was it felt like it was one episode shy of a, f- a finale. Like, it just kind of just dropped It felt off. very rushed, yeah. Okay. Um, where, where, what do you think of the, you, you personally, um, of the Marvel Netflix shows? Like, how do you, you don't have to, like, rank them or anything, but, like, where are you at with each one? Um, well, you know Iron Fist is my weakest, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, for me, it's it's really between Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Like, I think both of those shows are really strong. Daredevil season one, specifically. Um, yeah. So for me, it's probably either Daredevil one or Jessica Jones, and then Daredevil season two, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. Wow, I'm a little different because I, man, I really like Luke Cage. I I really liked that season. I loved. I, I thought yeah, it was like, kind of like I, I just thought it, it was just doing something so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of get why people were in love with it. It kind of slumps a little bit at times, but yeah, Daredevil season one, Jessica Jones season one, Luke Cage. I mean those. Those are so comparable to me, although the Daredevil was like a moment when that came Mm -hmm. out. I don't think any of the other shows really compare to it, uh, in my opinion. And uh, have you seen all of them, Maverick? I've seen Iron Fist. That's it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, man. We got to get you through. I know we've, we've, uh, your friend uh, Luke, he was watching the Daredevil season two. And I remember you were just like, you, you, you wanted nothing of it. I didn't care at all. (laughs) 
Come on, man. One of these days, we're going to get you to. Is Jessica Henwick in Daredevil? Because <laughs> if not, I'm not watching it. Jessica Jones. Eh. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the Defenders. Uh, go read Robert's review on wegotthiscovered.com. And def- obviously, it's going to be spoiler free and awesome. Yep. I saw a movie, uh, among many other things, but there's no way that I can't not talk about Detroit. Detroit is the you latest some, Catherine Bigelow film. Do you want some tissues before we... Ca- like, I'm, I'm just going to be straightforward with you guys. I sobbed during this movie. This movie inflicted pain on me, yeah, and I, I have that. no idea what I think about this movie. It's either the best movie I've seen in 2017 or one of the worst. And I, I'm not joking. Like, I'm not trying to be like, uh... Like I honestly, there are things about this movie that I I despise, and there there are things about this movie. I, I guess I need to set it up a bit better. It's called Detroit, and as you can imagine, that's a very loaded term uh, in terms of like you know Detroit is a city with a long, rich history, but also a very violent history. A lot of terrible things that have happened, uh, especially to the African American community. Now this movie centers around the 1967 riots, and specifically the Algiers Motel incident. And this is an incident that a lot of African Americans know of. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just something that like, of course, right? It's, it's a part of history that, you know, it, it definitely is a precursor to a lot of things that African Americans have been saying for decades in terms of police brutality, in terms of police, uh, getting away with just horrible, horrible civil rights violations and murder. Uh, so. Detroit is an interesting movie because it was directed by a white woman, Catherine Bigelow, one of our best directors. She directed Zero Dark Thirty, The Hurt Locker. And Detroit is, it stars John Boyega. I can't even get to it yet, but it stars John Boyega as well as Algie Smith, uh, who's really the, really the lead character. He's like the heart and soul of this movie. Uh, it also stars a couple of actors. I forget their names all the time. I think like William something he's the guy from uh chronicles of narnia he was in where the millers he's something else more recently but uh he's that he's this british american with like really weird eyebrows he was also in the maze runner and uh he he plays this cop who is one of these cops who's just being savagely racist and harmful against uh these people in this motel who were uh, accused of being uh, one of them being a sniper that's all I'll really say about the story. It follows these, it follows a lot of storylines. Uh, there's one negative thing you can say about Detroit, no matter who you are, it kind of lacks focus. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, the movie depicts the riots, but it also depicts like, it, it's very strange. Like the way that they show things, like there are scenes that happen to sort of set up like the tension and you really feel like any moment something's going to spark and uh, something crazy is going to happen. And, it, it, it's tough to describe. It's something that I don't want to get into detail of because it, it starts to kind of like get to me a little bit. This movie is not even close to for everyone. It's a movie that I think is useless for the African-American community, not because it was made by a white filmmaker and, and written uh, by a white screenwriter, but because what they have to go through while watching this movie is something they already know. You know, maybe maybe some of them would watch this and learn something, but I think the overwhelming majority would be like, yeah, yeah, you, why did you have to put me through this? And I can understand, like, for that group of people, for many of them, this movie is just, it just feels like a, a, just a terrible experiment in reminding them that n- nothing's really changed 
since 1967. So I'm conflicted here because there's that side of it, but there's, there's also this movie that for many, many, many people, it feels like a movie written for white people and pretty much everybody else, like people of color, but it's written for them to sort of be like, Hey, this happened. And there's a good chance you have no idea. And it, it depicts racism. It depicts police brutality in a way that I don't think it's how Zero Dark Thirty portrayed torture. It's how Hurt Locker portrayed PTSD. It's, it's what Catherine Bigelow is good at. So in that way, this movie is very useful. It's also very well acted. It's also uh, a, a very well made film. It's a powerful film. It's one that is ridiculously depressing. It's one that made me shake in my seat. It's one that made me want to just punch the seat in front of me. It put me through something. And I can't decide if it's good or bad because I also don't think the movie did enough to follow. Like I was saying before, it doesn't follow a focus with one character enough so that it's like some of these characters who die, we know nothing about. We really follow the track of like survivors in this movie. And it's just a very troubling thing. It's just something that feels like it's just missing something of authenticity. But at the same time, I mean, this was a movie that was made where people who were involved in what happened were on set every day. They were heavily involved in making sure that this movie was accurate. So you do sort of get that. You get that like, like a lot of the the writing was improvised because what really happened is disputed a lot. Um, because of court cases and things like that. And so it's dramatized, but at the same time, it's kind of like, like the script doesn't really follow like what people would have said. They actually just had the actors react naturally to what was happening. And I think it really works, but it also just really hurts. And I, it's not a movie that I really recommend to a lot of people, I, I, it's, I'm just so all over the place with this. I'm like the movie itself. So that's all I can really say. I don't want to say anything else really about this movie, but if you have any interest whatsoever, if you feel like you don't really know what I'm talking about, like if you don't know anything about this incident, I do think you should go see this. I do think you owe it to yourself to sit through this experience. I, I think that if you're easily shook, maybe you stay away from it. That's your choice. But if you kind of want to be convicted and you kind of want your you kind of want to be woken up a little bit about certain things th- this is a very uh th- this is probably the movie for you and i don't have a grade i don't know if i ever will i, I don't know what to do with this movie so. and you're still processing it sounds like i am yeah i need more well, time it's one of those things i think i always think of uh, this this quote that roger ebert said where he basically said that movies are empathy machines and it sounds like this is basically that's basically the purpose of detroit is to educate and and get audiences to to sort of re, uh, recognize what what went down and and sort of uh, I I don't know I guess process it and go through the experience you're going through. But I bet that's the why the whiplash for the African American community. I imagine yeah, many I of them understand. are going to hate this movie because I know I would if I was if a movie that was about my pain was being made for. Mm-hmm. The people inflicting that pain, I'd be a little like, this movie's called Detroit. Like, it, it's this weird reverse of like, because part of one of the themes of the movie is that it's like the the people who brutalize say that like, what are you doing in my city? But mm-hmm. like, that one of the themes is that like, it's it's their city too. So like, 
it kind of feels like the movie itself is sort of making a movie about their suffering, but not for them. So yeah, that's part of why I, I am so conflicted. Yeah. And that makes sense. Just watching the trailer is really intense already. So I'm, I'm, and I've heard a lot that this might be a big awards contender. So I, it's controversial. Feel, I feel like it's something I might want to see just to, to be in the conversation. But it's, it seems like I'm going to have to clear my schedule that day and just I hope, see I that hope and you then just rock out. myself and, and, and uh, yeah, console myself afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be up to a lot of different people. I do think that it's going to be uh, up for a lot of awards. And I think there's going to be a lot of backlash to that. I can. I'm just predicting. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally do you, wrong. Do you think it's going to be divisive in the way that Crash was divisive for similar reasons? It could be the same type of divisive, but I think that there's no comparison. That Crash is a terrible movie. It, right. It was a movie that had no business being propped winning, up the way it was. Winning Best Picture. Yeah. Yeah. This this movie actually is competently made. There are great mm-hmm. performances here. It's just some of its missteps are just really tough to forgive. So. I don't know. You might be right it, it, that it will be like one of those movies that just doesn't quite gel with enough people. So that's Detroit. Um, I'll give it a rest. <laughs> I'm really sorry for going on and on like that. But uh, Maverick, you you watched a new show on Netflix uh, called Ozark. When I saw the first three episodes with you. Yeah, first two or three. Yeah, yeah. But you've you've seen almost all of it, right? Or the I finished thing? it. Yeah. You know me. I'm a binger. <laughs> that's that's what I do. Um, this show is great for the people who are missing Breaking Bad, Narcos, you know, these kind of drug-based thriller. And if you're not looking forward to Tom Cruise's American Made. Which I'm not. Um, <laughs> Ozark's cool. Um, Jason Bateman stars in it. Uh, he actually also directs four episodes, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, let me see if I can read you. Uh, yeah, so this is the... Uh, the description, uh, a Chicago based financial advisor secretly relocates his family to the Missouri Ozarks when his dealings with a drug gar- cartel go awry. Um, Jason Bateman's character has been a money laundering machine for a, uh, like the second biggest cartel in Mexico for a long time. Um, some stuff goes down and it forces him and his family to relocate, um, into the Ozarks in Missouri, uh, as a way to try and, up the amount of money that he can launder for this cartel at his family's safety's risk. Um, it's, I think 10 episodes, something like that. Um, it, it's, it's a slightly above decent series in my opinion. Um, sometimes it can be really, really slow and, and it's, it's, I like like really slow kind of like tough shows. I, I breaking I, bad. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. This one was, I don't know the times it was really slow. It wasn't challenging enough. Um, I thought the first couple episodes were really quick though. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just towards the middle. There's just a lot of mm-hmm. stuff where, you know, he has to, he goes to the Ozarks and he has to basically build his new business. And as he's going around building it, I mean, you feel the tension. It, you always feel the tension, but it's just like, okay. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I just got a little bit bored. Um, and then it gets really intense towards the end. I mean, just like, it, it goes, seemed like you really were into it, like toward the end. Towards I could the end. hear yeah. you. Yeah, like, I was actually, I was screaming. Like, yeah, I was like, oh no. <laughs> There are some good shocks and like not necessarily surprises stuff you think might happen, but you like don't really think, you know what I mean? One of those where you're like, Oh wow, that, that really did. Um, that was like the worst vague description of it. You think it might happen. But anyway, um, 
I, I think it's definitely worth a watch, especially for people like me. I, I like worshipped Breaking Bad, Narcos, all that stuff. I'm watching Sons of Anarchy right now for the first time. So I'm really into these, these kind of shows, this kind of yeah. genre. Um, I think it's definitely in there. It's not bad by any means. Um, I enjoy it. I, I would recommend it to, to anyone who, who likes that kind of, that kind of show. Um, the cinematography is beautiful. Wow. Um, and, and a lot of arcs are beautiful. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really, really well filmed. Um, the, the soundtrack is really great. Um, some of the characters are just, just fantastic. Um, I can't, let me look and see if I find her name really quick. Uh, Julia Garner plays a character named Ruth Langmore, who is just a fantastic character. Um, kind of on the, uh, I was just getting introduced to her character. I think well, by the time I, yeah, she was actually in every episode, but you don't really see her character until like the fourth gotcha. one. Um, but she's great. She's kind of a, a good role for playing the line between like, you know, good and evil. What, what is she going to yeah. be kind of stuff? I thought aside from Jason Bateman, Laura Linney was a standout. And from what I saw, and she only gets better. She's one of the one of the characters that really just like she gets every, one of the best lines. Yeah, every episode in the is just second better. episode. She gets a line that's so great. It's like the very end. Yeah, and you're like, I like this character now because yeah. you start off hating her. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, they kind of like do the opposite of what they did with Skylar White in Breaking Bad, where it's like you just hate her more <laughs> yeah, and more yeah. throughout the show. It's like you love Laura Linney, and she, I would say, is worse than Skylar White in some of her mm-hmm. actions. Um, but it's a, it's a great show. I. I yeah. <laughs> I'm going all over the place. Well, you sound a, like most because the reviews have been kind of mixed. So. Yeah, I would say it's a great show for for people who like these kind of shows. Gotcha. I'm I'm going to give it like a like a strong B for me. Cool. Yeah, Rob, have you seen any of this? I have not. No. Hmm. Well, you know, sounds intriguing. Though. A TV editor for We Got Discovered. Um, yeah, dude, kind of <laughs> doing the job for you, man. Now you had to watch everything, man. <laughs> um, thank goodness you don't. But yeah, so. Ozark. Yeah, I, I might finish it. I've again, I've heard a lot of mixed things. I've heard it's great. I've heard it's I've already bad. accidentally spoiled you on a couple things cuz I was under the impression you weren't going to finish it. So. <laughs> a little bit. I've already forgotten. It's <laughs> my okay. bad. Um I I've liked what I've seen. The thing that I like about the show a lot is probably how Jason Bateman is he does kind of have the same like Walter White story, but he's different from Walter White. He's not the same kind of character, so yeah. it works, but it still does feel kind of derivative. Like the drug cartel stuff feels really derivative to me. Like I I'm not interested at all. And like, I don't know. It's just so we've seen it so many times. Like, yeah, we get it. The drug t- cartels are really dangerous. Like yeah. we got it. I will say that I think the way Jason Bateman's character, um, Marty responds to a lot of these situations feels more real to me than like you know breaking bad was pretty dramatized i don't think interesting like i'm always like i'm always kind of like waiting like how is he going to react to this or how is he going to try to with walter white it was like how is walter white going to do something crazy yeah like how is he going to be evil to fight like to get what he wants right now whereas with martin he's uh, already sort of evil i think i heard uh i think it was Devendra Hardwar, maybe, who said that the thing that he really liked about Ozark, uh, I think it was Devendra Hardwar, it might have been Jeff Kanata, but one of them was saying that what they really like about the show is that it's it feels like it starts at season four of Breaking Bad. Exactly. At that intensity. That's a great way to describe it, yeah. And that's one thing I will give it a lot of credit on, is you never, like you always feel that tension. Even when you're a little bit bored or it's slower, yeah. you're always like, what like what is gonna happen? Who's gonna catch on or who's gonna do that? It's 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 really cool in that way. Rob, have we we sold you on checking this out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the Breaking Bad comparisons are, are one that I'm hearing quite a bit. And um, our own David James on WeGotThisCovered.com gave it three and a half out of five. So wow. that sounds like a solid recommendation from him. Yeah, for and sure. Yeah. I think it's worth a check out for sure. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so there, there are two other things I saw this week that I don't want to like – go over i don't want to like go on and on about them mm-hmm. 
But uh, have any of you guys seen To the Bone yet? No. That's the Lily Collins, daughter of Phil Collins. Uh, She was in in a movie last year I didn't see, but I remember it was pretty successful. Like It was critically acclaimed. Uh, I'm blanking on what it was called. But Lily Collins is in this movie about anorexia called To the Bone. It's on Netflix right now. And uh, I checked it out. It's it's basically like a. It, it, here's the weird thing. It felt like one of those like young adult books that takes like a topic, like a hot button topic, and creates like a teenage sort of you know drama around that. So I was watching to the bone. And I was like, okay, what what YA book is this based off of? And it's not. It's actually just. A script, but they really, you really feel like it, it is something that was written for like 18 year olds or younger. Um, the movie is about like a 20 year old. She's anorexic. She has to go to like a group home and like meet a bunch of colorful characters. And, uh, Keanu Reeves plays this doctor who tries to help coach her to like overcome this. And, you know, it, it's a movie that a lot of it is really sappy. A lot of it is really weird. Uh, it takes a lot of turns. Characters do things that make no sense. Uh, there, there's a particular romance that is kind of ridiculous and it, it's not a great movie or anything. I did check it out. I gave it a, a C plus. Uh, it's just kind of, it's not terrible, but you've seen better movies, uh, that tackle, uh, you know, ideas like this. And I, I do think there need, there should be more movies about anorexia specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this one, you know, maybe a good start. I, I honestly can't think of a lot of movies that focus exclusively on eating disorders, but uh, if they did one, this is a good one to look to as a starting point because there, there are parts of To the Bone that do it really well. Um, I also saw – have you guys heard of The Incredible Jessica James? Also a Netflix I've movie. heard of it, but I haven't obviously seen it. Yeah, Cine- no. Cinesober. This one I actually heavily recommend. Uh, this this, mo- this movie is really good. This is a, an indie romantic comedy. Um, it's not nearly as good as The Big Sick, but it is in that same territory of like – if somebody would liked the big sick, I would recommend this next to them. Yeah. Uh, so the movie uh, stars Jessica Williams, who you guys might know from the daily show. She's been on a few times. Oh, okay, she's, yeah. she's hilarious. She plays this, uh, New York aspiring playwright who is like super confident and honest. And she's just this really fun, energetic, uh, exciting character who gets caught up in a lot of crazy situations. And, uh, she has this romance with Chris O'Dowd who's in this. And, it, it's a very interesting, I don't know, like they have really believable chemistry and it's just a very solid romantic comedy. I give it a, a B plus, very funny stuff. Uh, also, uh, one of the characters from Atlanta is in this. Uh, I forget his name, Lakeith something. Um, he's, he's great in this as well. And uh, he's great pretty much in everything he's in. Uh, you, you also saw him in uh, Get Out. He was one of right, the, yeah, the yeah. characters there. So. Definitely. I, I would say if you're going to watch something on Netflix uh, this week, uh, incredible, the incredible Jessica James is one to check out. Oh, also Noelle Wells is in this from uh, Master of None, she, uh, season one. She plays uh, Rachel. Yeah. Um, she's in this as well. She's really, uh, she has a fun, fun role here. Uh, check it out if you're interested. Uh, did you guys have any, anything to add to mini reviews? We're, we're finished like super early. I've got nothing. And this yeah, is no, that's talk all about I got. Sons yeah. of Anarchy seasons one through three. We got more stuff <laughs> to watch apparently. I really want to see Boss Baby for the first time. Now that it's uh, on DVD and I can finally check that out mm. and we haven't talked about it on the show yet. So hopefully we can get to that. But uh, yeah, I think we're good. I think that's it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, when you're done, you're done. All right. Uh, well, that'll do it then for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. 
Um, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that if you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, where you can download these episodes. We're also on the We Got This Covered YouTube channel where you can go and check out, uh, you know, if you're watching it already on YouTube, uh, thank you for supporting the Cinemaholics podcast. If you want us to keep going and you want us to uh, get better, we want your feedback. Uh, please leave us emails or email us at cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page that you can come hang out with us with. It's the Cinemahawks Facebook page, uh, which is linked to in our show notes. And with that, uh, Robert, thank you so much for coming on and yeah, thanks, helping buddy. out. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Anytime. It's always good to have you on. Thanks um, for having me back. We've had you on for a horror movie and we've had you on for an action movie. Uh, what's next? What, what do you want to, what do you want to help us review next time? Hmm. Uh, let's do let's do a, some kind of a sci-fi movie next. I guess Alien Covenant sort of a sci-fi. Yeah, we already we already did a sci-fi. Let's do movie. yeah. Let's do okay. Sci-fi comedy superhero. There's a lot of genres. We'll hit. We'll find something. We'll, we'll figure it out. When it happens, it happens. Oh. It'll, be, it'll feel right. There um, you go. <laughs> all right. Well, that we'll see you guys next week. I actually forget what we're reviewing next week. I think The Dark Tower comes out. Um, a couple other films I do really want to see. Uh, Toronto Film Festival uh, is on the horizon. They just announced uh, what's going to be screened there. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about that uh, next week or talk about what uh, is going to be screening. Uh, the movie that I'm most excited about so far is The Darkest Hours. Uh, so that's one that hopefully we'll be able to talk about soon. All right, we'll see you guys again next week from the Internet California. I am John Agroni. From the Broadband Basement, I am Soundmaster Maverick Hines. From the Crooked Table slash the Internet Florida, I'm Robert Yannis Jr. See you next time. Later. See ya.